I promise I, I won't be before you long because today is really special. And we're going to end this service, like I said, and we're going to go straight to the baptism moment. But I just want to frame through the word of God why today is so significant for those who have made the decision to get baptized. And guess what? Maybe by the end of this message, you put your faith in Jesus and you say, you know what? I hadn't gotten baptized we got a special thing for you. You can sign up today, today. We got a shirt for you and everything. You can get baptized today. You can register. And so I just want to let you know that. But I want you to remain standing. We're going to go straight to the word of God. And then you can sit down and relax. I want you to go with me today to the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. And I want to look at verses 13 through 17. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 3. Start at verse number 13, go down to verse 17. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. I love it. It's awesome to have the social kids with us in here today. Make some noise for all the social kids. <laughs> love it when the whole family gets to worship together. It's something powerful, I believe, about a child seeing their parent worship. We, I, I love kids' ministry. we got a great kids' ministry. I cannot wait to expand it and make it bigger. But uh, please, parent, don't just relegate the discipleship of your children to the church. It's important they see you worship. It's important they see you, Dad, lift up your hands. It's important they see you, Mom, opening up the Word of God. So I love Sundays like this. I, if your baby is crying, I'm cool with it. You good. You good. I got three little humans myself. And so I'm just glad that we all get to be together as one big family today. But we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter number three. We'll start at verse 13. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. All right, I'm just giving you time to find it because some of y'all, this is your first time to church in a long time and you're looking for Matthew and you're in the Old Testament. You need to come on over to the New Testament. Matthew chapter three. And it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me, I mean, you know, that, that, that's a good response if the creator of the universe is coming to you to baptize him. He's like, what, what, what you talking about, Jesus? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. suddenly. Oh, come on, say it with your chest. Say suddenly. suddenly. A voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's exactly how God sounded that day, by the way, just in case... <laughs> You were wondering. I imagine God's voice with that deep, very white tone. And then I just want to add to this, Matthew chapter 4. I just want to read one verse here. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1 is all I need. And it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That verse right there ooh, is enough to give you some constipation and consternation. Because I get the Holy Spirit descending on me like a dove in the water. 
I don't get the Spirit leading me into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hold oh, up. This was a whole new spin on Spirit lead me. <laughs> See, you thought Spirit lead me was like to a race. <laughs> Spirit lead me to where a Tesla is. But what do you do <laughs> when the spirit that descended upon you is the same spirit that leads you into a wilderness and the devil himself is waiting for you when you get there? I want to talk today for 24 minutes. Don't look at me like that. I can do it. From this thought, from the water, to the wilderness from the water to the wilderness look at your neighbor whichever one you like the best it's your choice look at them right now just say neighbor oh neighbor God will take you from the water to the wilderness come on pick that other neighbor because you already offended them come on find that other neighbor come on say other neighbor oh God will take you from the water to the wilderness. If you believe he's going to speak to you, give him one big praise just before you sit down. Woo! You can be seated while I drink some water. From the water to the wilderness. Social fam, this year, this year, I will celebrate and commemorate 18 years of full-time ministry. 18 years of full-time ministry. I'll take all them hand claps. It's real in these ministry streets. <laughs> 18 years. And that, that is shocking to me. That's shocking to my young mind because I started coming to church uh, when I was three years old. Not by my choice. It was a dictatorship in my home. I started coming to church when I was three. I preached my first sermon when I was 16 single, scrawny, and still living at home with my parents. Ooh, today, I am 39. Ooh, been married 11 years. Got three kids, one mortgage, one dog, six chest hairs. I'm a grown man, dog. A grown man. It's funny that in my 18 years of full-time ministry, the church is only two years old, 16 of those 18 years were spent traveling to churches literally around the world preaching the gospel preaching the good news about Jesus. And I was reflecting on that season of itinerant ministry. And I remembered that whenever I would travel, especially if my father was traveling with me, I would often be asked a question. And this question was based on an assumption. The question would be, hey, Robert, how long did your dad pastor? Or how long was your dad in ministry? Or uh, what was your dad's church? And I would quickly let them know uh, that my father is never a pastor, never a preacher. My father was a fireman for the city of Dallas. As a matter of fact, for 32 years, he faithfully served the city of Dallas fighting fires. Shout out to all our firemen and officers and first responders. 32 years. So it's interesting to note that my father and I, although we have the same name, we have completely different vocations, completely different callings. I think that's imperative for you to note today. Uh, in the unlikely event that you were ever to be trapped in a fire, and like you could only call a Robert Madu to get you out. 
Make sure you call the right Robert, okay? Make sure you call the, it's three of us, okay? Don't, don't call my son. He might actually try to get you out because he thinks he's Spider-Man, so he'll try to get you out. Uh, call my dad. Call my dad because although he's retired, he'll still go in there. He will grab a truck. He will grab a ladder. He will go in there and get you out the fire. Ooh, my approach is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to stand a considerable distance away from you as you are trapped in the fire. And I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you real good. And I'm going to say something like, mm, consider it pure joy, my brother. Whenever you face various trials, knowing that the persecution of your faith is only producing perseverance. I know you're in the fire right now, but you're coming out as pure gold. Cause no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Key change. You're not the only one that's ever been trapped in a fire. Y'all remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in a fire too. And if God got them out, then he, I said he. Not me, but he gets you out too. I'm just saying. Some of of y'all got scared. What is this? Preach like that in some places. But uh, I'm just going to be honest. I'm a preacher. I'm not a firefighter. And so, but I remember, I remember some of my greatest memories as a kid. Some of my greatest memories as a kid was when I would go visit my dad at the fire station. Visiting my dad at the fire station. You understand when you're a little boy and your dad's a fireman, and you get to visit him at the fire station. Ooh, y'all, the fire station to a little kid is like Disney without the ticket prices. I remember, I remember when I was a kid, I would be running around the fire station. I'm, I'm trying on the outfits. I'm sliding down the pole. I am pretend driving the fire truck. I remember kids at school would be like, hey, Robert, I got a fire truck for Christmas. I'm like, that's cool. I drive one. <laughs> Dream bigger. So <laughs> I remember those moments like it was yesterday. Oh, but social fam, I will never forget I will never forget the day I'm a kid. I'm visiting my dad at the fire station. I am pretend driving the fire truck. And all of a sudden, almost just like first service today, out of the blue, I hear sirens. Engine 26, five alarm fire. Engine 26, five alarm fire. And my Nigerian father went from laughing and smiling at me pretend driving the fire truck to all of a sudden saying, son, get out of that seat right now. He picks me up, throws me out of the seat to my mom. Immediately, firemen started coming out of the crevices and the corridors of the fire station like fire ants escaping an ant bed that had just been stepped on. I saw two firemen in the corner who were playing ping pong. They threw their paddles in the air and started putting on their gear. One fireman was eating a turkey sandwich. This dude stopped mid-bite of the turkey sandwich and jumped on the fire truck and in no less than three minutes the same fire truck I was pretend driving was now peeling out of the parking lot and the same siren I was pushing for my entertainment was now being pushed for an emergency because time was of the essence and destinies were on the line and I will never forget the look on my father's face and the immediacy of the moment as he had to quickly transition from a moment of fellowship and playing with his son to now rushing to put out a five alarm fire that he didn't even start. I share that story with you today 
hoping that you can feel the tone and the tension of what is happening in the scripture that I read in Matthew chapter 3 with Jesus' baptism and in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus' temptation. Because you understand, in Matthew chapter 3 with Jesus' baptism, he is in perfect communion and fellowship with the Father. This is an open heaven moment. He is getting affirmation and approval and celebration from the Father. Father, the Holy Spirit descends. This is a beautiful moment. And right after that moment in chapter 4, he goes straight into the wilderness to face the devil, to put out a fire that he did not start, but was started in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were disobedient and brought sin into this world. This is the tone and the tension between the transition of Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. It's interesting because this transition is so quick from one chapter to the next. And one thing that you have to understand, especially if you ever read your Bible, is that the chapter numbers and the verse numbers in your Bible, those were not in the original manuscripts. And sometimes those can be a blessing to you. How many of you love getting your chapters in? Don't you feel good? Mm, five chapters today. Some of you just one chapter. Some of you one verse. You're like, I'm killing them. <laughs> Which is totally cool, but you just need to understand that those verses that can often be helpful, sometimes those chapter numbers and chapter verses are a hindrance because you can think that where you stopped reading is where the story ended. So if you do like me, you'll read this how I read it for years thinking that here's Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, then you pause, take a commercial break, and then come back to his temptation in the wilderness of chapter 4, and you'll be tempted to look at these events as isolated events that should be viewed individually. But I'm trying to tell you today that these two issues were not meant to be viewed individually, but rather interdependently because God is actually trying to teach us something today about what life will bring you. He's trying to teach you about a process. He's trying to teach you about a trajectory that your life will often go through, and that is from the water to the wilderness. Ooh, I read Matthew's account, but I really should have read Mark and Mark's account because Mark and Mark does it a whole lot better. I want you to see it real quick in Mark chapter 1. Let's look at it, verses 9 through 12. It says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then right there in verse 12 it says, Immediately, immediately, no chapter break, Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The water is still dripping off his forehead from the Jordan River. And immediately, the Spirit drives him from the water into the wilderness. It is that immediately that irritated me this entire week. Because I'm trying to figure out how in the world can you go from one moment you're being baptized and the next moment you're in a battle. One moment you are in total comfort, the next moment you are in total conflict. One moment you're getting a word from God in the water, and the next moment you are facing real warfare. One moment you are hearing a voice from heaven, and the next moment you are hearing a voice from hell. One moment you are in cohesive collaboration and community with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the next moment you are in complete isolation in the wilderness. One moment you're getting everything that you need from the Father, and the next moment you got saved 
Satan breathing down your neck. Come on, you gonna act like you ain't never been there before? Is there anybody in here that's ever experienced that transition where one moment you are full of faith saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the next moment, fear has gripped your heart and you're going, how in the world am I gonna make it? One moment, you're saying, God, I'm gonna be generous. I'm gonna trust you. And so the next moment, you're like, God, is this crazy? I'm about to go broke. One moment, you wanna forgive your enemies and bless them that curse you. But the next moment, you want to look at them and say, I do know another tongue that you ain't never heard before. And just because I'm saved, it don't mean I'm soft. Does anybody know what it's like? Oh, to make the transition from the water to the wilderness. The tension is always in the transition from the water straight into the wilderness. Why in the world would God do it this way? Why in the world would God take you from a moment of an open heaven into complete isolation, hearing the voice of the enemy breathing down your neck, questioning the very identity that your father confirmed when you were in the water? Oh, before I even talk about the wilderness, because it's Baptism Sunday, I want to talk about the water. The water was a big deal. Can you imagine what your Bible would be without water? All the way from the book of Genesis, the first thing we find out is water. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving upon the face of the... Hello? Water. Your Bible starts with water. Your Bible ends with water. Even in the book of Revelation, it says, all who are thirsty can come and drink. Your God's first miracle was taking water and turning it into water. What would the Bible be? without water. Water is significant, especially baptism. You need to understand that the baptism of Jesus was a big deal. It's a big deal. Some of y'all are like, well, why should I get baptized? Because Jesus did. That's biblical evidence for baptism right there. How many you know he was not getting baptized because he had sin? He knew no sin. He became sin. He is not standing in the baptism line because he needs to repent of something. He's standing in the baptism line because he's trying to fulfill something. He's trying to fulfill our righteousness. See, he didn't just come to die as you. He came to live as you. So although he didn't need to be baptized, although he created John and he created the water he was about to be baptized in, he humbled himself low enough to get in a line of the people that he created and to be identified as a sinner even though he didn't sin. He said, I got to do this to fulfill all righteousness because this is not just about me. This is about those who are coming after me. And there's going to be 400 people at Strauss Square one day at Social Dallas and they're going to get in line and get baptized and I gotta fulfill all righteousness and be an example for them. Oh Jesus baptism. It was a big deal. I know his baptism was a big deal because Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all talked about his baptism. All of them talked about his baptism and his temptation. I find it intriguing that only two of them talk about his birth. That's Mark and Luke. They talk about the birth. The rest of them, they skip his birth. Matthew and Luke, they talk about his birth. Mark and John, they just skip it. They just skip it. They ain't got time for it. You know you gangster when you skip Christmas. <laughs> but guess what all four of them talked about? They talked about that moment when the Savior of the universe modeled for us the power of what baptism is to be identified with him in his death and his crucifixion in the water and to come up into life. I know his baptism was a big deal because of who showed up at the baptism. Oh, the Bible says that the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. I bet they did. You know why? Because whenever there's humility, the heavens will open up. 
the humility of Jesus is what opened up the heavens. If he would have stood there and said, I'm the creator of the universe. I ain't got to get baptized, please. I'm not going to get in line and identify with himself. The heavens would have stayed locked up. And that's why some of you never experienced an open heaven because you have too much pride and you don't want to lift up your hands and you want to get undignified. But if you ever lose your swag and lose your ego and say, God, I don't care what I think. The only one I care about is what you think. I care about your opinion. It's your approval that I want. When you get to that place of humility, watch the heavens open up. Has anybody ever done it? Have you ever really just lost yourself in worship to that point where you didn't care what you had on? You didn't care about that Mary Kay and Mac makeup getting jacked up, but you just cared about getting in his presence. And once you get your focus on him, it happened earlier today. All of a sudden, the heavens will open up to you when you have humility. Heavens open up. That's how I know it's a big deal because the whole Trinity made a cameo appearance. God the Father is speaking from heaven. God the Son is in the water and the Holy Spirit is descending like a dove. You know it's bad to the bone when the whole Trinity makes a cameo appearance at the exact same time. I know his baptism was a big deal because of what the Father was declaring over Jesus. He was declaring the thing, hear me, that every human heart wants to know. He's declaring the thing that every thirsty soul is desiring in this place today. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, he was saying, you're loved, you're my child, and I'm pleased with you. Ooh, I wonder what your life would look like if you knew that you were loved, you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. Matter of fact, it's a free country, but I want to dare you every single day you wake up. If you need a daily declaration, you ought to get up, look yourself in the mirror, and say, I am loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. I'm talking about before you brush your teeth with your stanky breath, just look in the mirror and declare to yourself, I am loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. That's a good word to keep saying over and over and over again. When you post something and you don't get the likes that you want, remind yourself, I'm not living for likes because I'm loved. I'm a child of God and he's pleased with me. Next time you go to Starbucks and the barista says, what name should I put on the drink? Tell her, I got three. I am loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. Next time that person you were trying to hook up with and date ghost you and they don't text you back. You can cry for a little bit, but after that, get over it and say, I am loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. Y'all not going to help me preach in here today. Is there anybody in here that says, I am tired of living for the approval and the validation of other people but I gotta live from the approval and the validation of my father I am loved I'm a child of God and he we may as well say it all together would you say this say I am loved loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me say it like you believe it say I am loved loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me Oh, don't say that too much because you'll start walking in the rooms with your head lifted high. You'll start walking in the rooms with your chest out. They say, what's wrong with you? You get a raise? No, I just know I'm loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. Those people that try to bring you down with their negative words saying you ain't all that. Well, you might not think so, but guess what? I'm loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. Oh, you know you ain't got no teeth. I know, but I'm still loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me it's a good place right there that's a good place to start right there say that my approval comes from my heavenly father and here's what blows my mind y'all I'm almost done he ain't even done nothing yet he ain't even done nothing if it was me if I was in heaven and I'm going to speak something over the sun I'm going to do it on Easter 
when he gets up from the grave. Then I'll be like, well, this is my beloved son. And whom I'm well pleased. He finally did it. And all of humanity will roll pastels on this day and celebrate what you've done. No. He ain't healed the sick. He hadn't been to the cross. Hadn't raised the dead. But right at the onset, the father speaks. You're loved. You're my child. And I'm pleased with you. How? He ain't done nothing. I know. But this approval has nothing to do with performance. Everything to do with position and proximity. Just the fact that you are my child, I'm loved with you. I'm loved. I'm, I'm pleased with you. And most church folks would end the sermon right here because we love water moments, don't we? Oh, we're about to go watch it right now. We're about to go watch. Hundreds of people go in the water and come out because we love water moments. And water moments are awesome. You need water moments. Water moments they're the place where your identity is confirmed. And you know who you are and whose you are. Ooh, we love water moments. We relish in the water moments. But I hate to warn you that if Jesus is our model, if he's our template, right after the water moment, you're going to go straight into the wilderness. Why is it that the GPS system, God's positioning system, will always tell you, start on water road, then make a sharp right turn into the wilderness. Oh, I, I wish I had another sermon for you. I wish I could tell you that once you have the water moments, everything's going to be perfect and you're going to float in the room. But the life of Jesus is proof positive that right after the water, you're going to go straight into the wilderness. Right after, hear me, you hear the voice of heaven, you will hear the voice from hell. And this is what nobody likes to deal with, no, especially in the church, because we have ooh, programmed people in church to believe that the approval of heaven means I got a bigger car. I got more money in the bank. We have relegated God's approval to blessing. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for blessing. I want you to have blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings. I believe God wants to get a blessing to you so he can get it through you to somebody else. But the life of Jesus is proof positive that the approval of heaven does not absolve you from an attack from the enemy. As a matter of fact, some of you, what is proof positive that you have the approval of heaven is that you have an attack right now. Yeah. I know that's hard to clap at. <laughs> but some of you don't even realize the reason you're going through what you're going through right now is simply because God is pleased with you. You didn't do something wrong. This isn't sin. It actually is showing that you're taking territory for the kingdom of God. The enemy don't attack nobody that ain't doing nothing. He don't attack anybody that doesn't have purpose on their life. Some of you, the reason your life is perfect is because you ain't doing nothing for the kingdom of God. But some of you, the reason you're going through hell, the reason you can't sleep at night, the reason the enemy is coming against you is because God is pleased with you. You've been looking at the attack as something bad. I'm telling you, flip the script. You must say, oh, I must be doing something right. The way hell is coming against me. God always take you from the water to the wilderness. From the water to the wilderness. Look at your neighbor and say, from the water to the wilderness. Tell the other neighbor, from the water to the wilderness. Look at the neighbor behind you. Say, from the water to the wilderness. From the water to the wilderness. From the water to the wilderness. Ooh, why, God? 
Somebody said, why God too? Yeah. If it was me, can I just talk with y'all before I land the plane? If it was me, I would say, God, give me the water in the wilderness. If, if, if I'm God, if there's ever a time I need you to open up the heaven and say, this is my beloved son in whom you will please, do it when the enemy is tempting me over and over and over again. And every temptation is preceded by, if you are the son of God. Questioning the very thing you confirmed, why give him the opportunity? If, it, if it's me, God, give me my water in the wilderness. Yeah, I, I would like to be in the wilderness, let Satan pull up on me, and right when he opens up his mouth to say, if you are the son of God, then open up the heavens and say, what you mean if? What you mean if, devil? Of course he's the son of God. Already said he was the son of God. He's always been the son of God. Matter of fact, let me come down with you, Jesus, and let God the Father come down with him and then say, let there be water and let water show up in the wilderness and then both of them take the enemy by the neck like it's WWE and just put him in the water and drown Satan to death. And then when his lifeless body is floating in the water, that's when you call John the Baptist and say, we're ready for the baptism now. <laughs> Seems like it'd be better like that. <laughs> It ain't going to happen. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. You will not get the privilege of getting your water experience in the wilderness because God's system, he always takes you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to, I'm going to say it till you hear my voice in your head tomorrow at work in your cubicle going from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness. To the water to the wilderness. Ooh, it is a principle that I've learned that God always takes you through from the water. Ooh, it's funny because John baptized in the in the but when they asked John who he was he said, I'm a voice crying out in the crying out Prepare the way of the Lord because he always takes you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness. It's his way. It's his system. It's just what he does. He has to. Oh, now I see why the children of Israel had to go through the Red Sea. Let me hurry up. Because the Red Sea was water. And remember, the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. And Pharaoh messed around and thought they were just slaves because they had been in that cycle for so long. And God had to remind them through a deliverer, no, they're not just slaves. They're my children. They're loved. And I'm pleased with them. And when you are God's child, there is no stronghold. There is no demonic attack. There is no chain. There is no generational curse that can ever keep you bound. Because whoever the sun sets free... Oh, it's free indeed. Somebody just give God 10 seconds of a shout for your freedom. From the water to the wilderness. And yes, it was wonderful when Moses lifted up his staff and they went through the water. But they didn't go straight to the promised land for 40 years in the wilderness because God always takes you from the water to the wilderness I never want to bring my own presupposition to a biblical passage and I always want to rightly divide the word of God and exegete a text properly but I submit to you that this premise and this principle of from the water to the wilderness is even how we enter the world you remember how you were born right? You were conceived in your mother's womb. 
identity confirmed in her womb. We're having a boy, we're having a girl. And isn't it funny, in that womb, you were surrounded by? So much so that when your head got too big and your mom was at the dining room table, she said, "Uh uh-oh, my water just broke and rushed to the hospital. Remember how you came into the world? Did you come into the world clapping? No. Did you come into the world smiling? No. Did you come into the world shouting? No. You came into the world crying, screaming at the top of your little lungs. Ah! And everybody around you smiling, talking about, hey, welcome to the world. You looked at him and screamed louder. Ah! Yes, we tell little babies, welcome to the world. We ought to tell them, welcome to the because you spend your entire life trying to figure out the wilderness that you were born into this is why the church has got to be quick to love people where they are I'm not saying condone sin but we got to have our first response be love because you don't know the wilderness that some people were born into you don't know the wilderness and be the voice that confirms their God-given identity. Isn't it crazy that the same spirit that descended upon him in the water is the same spirit that drove him into the wilderness? If the spirit is driving me to the wilderness, that means the wilderness is not my problem. The spirit wouldn't drive me there if the problem was the wilderness. The wilderness is life. The problem is who is in the wilderness waiting for Jesus to get there please don't miss this Jesus gets to the wilderness and you have to know Satan is already there in the wilderness waiting on him and watching him I believe he's watching before he starts talking because this is what the enemy does he waits he watches then he speaks well how do you know Jesus had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And what's the first thing he tempts him with? Turn these stones into bread. His attack was strategic. He was watching them. He's like, oh, yeah, you're going to fast, what, 21 days? 29 days. 30 days? 40 days? Are you done fasting? Okay, now I'll show up. Hey, turn these stones into cornbread. I'm trying to show you how the enemy works in your life. He waits, he watches, and then he attacks. This is what he does. He just watches. He did the same thing in the Garden of Eden as a snake. He waited, he watched, then he attacked Adam and Eve. He does the same thing with them. He did it as a snake. I'm going to close with this. I'll never forget I was studying this text and just happened to be watching the Discovery Channel. And they did a special on snakes. And I almost changed the channel because I don't do snakes. But I kept watching. I'm glad I did. Because they said something that messed me up. They said snakes are the only species that don't blink. Snakes, y'all, don't have eyelids. They don't blink. All they do is. They just watch. That's what the enemy is doing. He is watching, trying to see where he can attack. I heard another story about a lady. 
who had a pet snake. Have you heard about this lady? She had a pet, a pet snake. How crazy you got to be to have a pet snake? Had a pet python and ran into a problem. Her pet python stopped eating. Out of cause and concern for her python, she goes to the veterinarian and said, you got to help. Said, my python refuses to eat. I would feed it rats and rodents. It, it, it stopped eating. The veterinarian asked this lady a litany of questions, and one of the questions intrigued me. The veterinarian said, um, ma'am, by any chance, have you been sleeping with your snake? The lady said, oh, why, yes, I have. Said, I, I love my snake. And she said, there are some nights I let my snake slither out of its cage and sleep in the bed next to me. The veterinarian said, okay, ma'am, while sleeping with your snake, has there ever been a time where you got up and your snake was right next to you, stretched out beside you? The lady said, yes. As a matter of fact, the other day, I woke up and my snake was right next to me, stretched out beside me. The veterinarian said, ma'am, I have some good news and I have some bad news. She said, the good news is your snake is not sick. She goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. She said, the bad news is your snake is preparing to eat you. She said, the reason your snake has not eaten for several months is because it is making sure that its digestive system has enough room for you. She said, the reason you wake up to your snake right next to you stretched out is because your snake is strategically sizing you up and is trying to see how big it has to get to swallow you whole. She said, really? She said, yeah. And I don't know who this message is for, but God told me to remind you on this baptism Sunday that there is a call on your life there is a destiny on your life and there is a real enemy and he is sizing you up he's trying to destroy you he wants to stop the plan of God over your life but thank God for Pentecost Sunday thank God for baptism because God said if you would allow me to fill you with my spirit you can look at that enemy and say guess what God has too much of my life for me to allow you to destroy me I am who God says that I am I can be everything he's called me to be I am loved I'm his child he is pleased with me and thank God for our Savior who through the word of God defeated this enemy who is the devil that's why we can have victory today oh come on don't shout in your strength you better shout in the strength of the one who defeated death hell and the grave forever that's why he had to complete that test in the garden that's why he had to complete that test in the wilderness to give us hope give us hope that even in the wilderness I can trust him I'm gonna ask every single person that can to stand to your feet Father, thank you today for going before us. God, thank you that you lived the life we were supposed to live and you died the death we were supposed to die. God, I'm praying for my brother. I'm praying for my sister who's in a wilderness season. And in the wilderness, they need to be reminded of what you spoke in the water. Lord, it's so easy in the wilderness to want you to tell us something new. 
God, I've found often we've got to go back to what you already said. We're loved. We're your children. And you're pleased with us. Father, today as we get ready to go outside and baptize, all those who are making a public declaration that they have put their faith in you, they've put their hope in you. Lord, I'm praying that today would be an open heaven moment. Thank you that our identity is confirmed as we identify with you. That's what Paul says in the book of Romans when we get baptized we identify with your death and when we come up out of the water we identify with your resurrection thank you God for new life thank you that in spite of the wilderness seasons and the voice of the enemy God if we'll use the weapon you used your word God we will and we can have the victory heads are bowed eyes are closed we're about to dismiss this service and Go outside to Stroud Square and baptize those who are making a public de declaration, hear me, of a decision they've already made. You don't go to get baptized because you believe that you did something bad last night and so I'm just doing this to feel better about myself. No, this is an outward expression of an inner commitment and decision that you've already made, that you put your faith in Jesus. The next step is to go public and let the world know that I've given my life to him. But in these last few moments with heads bowed and eyes closed today just before I go outside, I would be derelict in my duty as a preacher of the gospel if I didn't give somebody an opportunity to say, you know what, I need to take that step that comes before baptism, which is to put my faith in Jesus. Hear me, you have a real enemy who is sizing you up. He's watching and he's waiting. His desire is to destroy, but thank God for the Savior of the world who came from heaven to earth, lived a sinless life, loved us while we were sinners so we didn't have to be stuck in our sin. And hear me, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. You just come to him just as you are confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he raised his son from the dead. So with heads bowed and eyes closed today, I just want to give somebody that opportunity to maybe even join those who have already made that decision and are going to get baptized. You can even get baptized today, but the first step is to say, Jesus, my life is yours. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today, say, Pastor Robert, would you include me in this closing prayer? I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I'm not asking you, have you come to church? I'm asking you, have you surrendered your life to him? Has your life come under the lordship of Jesus? If that's you, when I count to three, would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I could see it? Down on the balcony, up in the balcony, down on the main floor, when I count to three, one, this is for you. Two, you know what God is speaking to you. Three, would you just lift up your hand if you say, that's me, Pastor Robert. I need to give him my life today. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. There was a season you were walking with the Lord and your hearts got cold and God's calling you back home today. Would you just lift up your hand? Yeah, thank you. I see that hand. I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, that's why you had to be here today. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Can we pray this prayer 
as one big family. We're going to say it in the same way. We're going to celebrate everybody outside as one big family. I want us to pray this prayer for those who lifted up their hands as one big family. Would you say this from your heart? Say, dear Jesus, thank you so much for living the life that I was supposed to live, for dying the death that I was supposed to die. You took my place. So Jesus, my response is to surrender. I give you all of me. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. Thank you that I am your child, that you approve of me and you love me because I've surrendered my life to you. You've seen me through the lens of the blood you shed for me. So from this moment forward, all the days of my life, in water moments and wilderness seasons, my hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Come on, if you meant what you prayed, can we all... Give King Jesus just the best hand clap of praise that you got. Come on. Come on. Let's fill the wind spirit with the praises of the redeemed of the Lord.